Topic of our Damaton Katnir this evening is certainly going to be near the imperfections of insight in the Pali scriptural language known as Vipassana Upakilesa. Now, the meditation you know, practice is uh, unfolding, not in a haphazard manner, but rather in a pretty systematic manner. And whether a meditator is from the Americas or from Iceland or from, let's say, from somewhere in Africa or New Zealand or somewhere in Asia, it really doesn't matter. The main experiences will be more or less the same. And over the centuries, many meditators have practiced according to the teachings of the Buddha, in particular the teachings given in the Satipatthana Sutta. And they've had experiences that are very comparable. Now, the the path of purification of Visuddhi Magga is certainly one of the works that, to quite some extent, describes what happens in the meditation practice, how the development in the meditation unfolds. Now, the imperfections of Fatna insights are preceded by what is known as the knowledge by comprehension and certain part of this knowledge of knowledge by comprehension is an experience of dukkha. Now you may still recall this from your own meditation practice. And when the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness is in the foreground, then meditators tend to suffer and certainly they tend to experience plenty of physical pains and also plenty of unwholesome mental states, difficult mental states, and those are mostly the hindrances. Now, when a meditator is in the midst of experiencing this certain dukkha phase, then life will be miserable for this certain person. So it will not necessarily be a fun experience. However, fortunately, things don't rest therefore ever. but rather the practice moves on. Once a meditator has come to accept the dukkha as dukkha and is no longer fighting it and is no longer seeing the dukkha as an enemy, then usually things will move ahead.
And is, it is at that point uh, that Satya then uh, gradually uh, the aspects or, or gradually you know, objects become much more refined and Satya then a meditator will get a glimpse of Satya Anatta, namely the absence of a self. Now this then is certainly usually accompanied by the arising of what kind of mental states? Again, some unwholesome mental states or some wholesome mental states? What do you think? Huh? Wholesome? Yes, is correct. So, the arising of some wholesome mental states. And those certain wholesome mental states we or, or, you know, arise frequently you know, beginning with calmness, calmness certainly being the most predominant of you know, them, but uh, a number of others also you know, exist and we shall look at those in the course of the talk today. Now, at first one, as outlined, one experiences a number of unwholesome, difficult mental states, and then followed by a number of wholesome mental states. So what we have here is, once again, a contrast between unwholesome mental states and wholesome mental states. And it is from this contrast that occurs uh, within just uh, you know, two or you know, three days that a meditator you know, learns a lot and you know, from this also wisdom arises. So it is in seeing uh, first the unwholesome mental states and then very soon the wholesome mental states that certain one gains uh, much clarity about certain uh, the unwholesome uh, mental states. And then obviously you know, the mind certain will prefer the wholesome ones. Now, as mentioned already in earlier Dhamma talks, the nature of the untrained mind is to push away the undesirable, unwholesome mental states, and suddenly then it tends to get attached to and craves for desirable, wholesome states. Now, this sudden push and sudden pull is certainly rather exhausting and certainly with time and with practice a meditator gradually learns certainly to then keep the mind in a more balanced place. Now the 
imperfections, the ten imperfections of insight in the Pali scriptural language are known as dasa vipassana upakilesa. Dasa is your Pali word for ten, and certainly then upakilesa uh, is impurity, imperfection, anything that spoils or obstructs, and vipassana is your insight. So the ten impurities of insight or imperfections of insight. What certainly happens is certainly after having passed the um, suffering, the unsatisfactoriness of certain formations, and gained you know, some initial understanding about you know, the absence of a self, you know, then you know, things turn around and certainly you know, a number of uh, uh, wholesome mental states arise. Those certain you know, ten imperfections are uh, as follows. The first one, and there are actually two you know, lists. Uh, you know, the imperfections are the same, however, the order is certainly different. So we have the list from the from the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, which is most uh, you know, or is very much in um, accordance with the actual you know, development in one's practice, and certainly the other list of imperfections imperfections of ten imperfections can be found in the in the what is it called the Abhidhamata Sangaha in Pali namely the comprehensive manual of the Abhidhamma. So we will follow the order as given in the Visuddhi Magga. So the first one among those imperfections of insight is illumination in the Pali scriptural language known as Obasa. This Satnya then is followed by wisdom or knowledge, Jnana in the Pali scriptural language. Each of these ten imperfections will be explained Satnya later on in greater detail. Now, number three is Satna joy or rapturous Satna delight, beauty in the Pali scriptural language, followed by calmness, basadi, and Satna this in turn is followed by happiness, Satna sukha, and Satna then based on these, well, a determined faith arises, which is known as adimokha. Then we have Satna strong energy, bhagaha in the Pali scriptural language, followed by strong mindfulness, upatana, and certainly then the second at last is equanimity, upeka, and certainly finally nikanti is certainly the last one, namely attachment. Those ten imperfections of insight are all wholesome or not. All but one. Hmm? All but one. All but one. <laughs> That's correct. And th- th- which one is not wholesome? Nikanti. Nikanti. Uh, the very last one, namely attachment, which is certain form of certain greed. 
Now, the f to explain in greater detail, the first one as given is, is illumination, which means that so, a meditator experiences various light phenomena. And so, meditators might so, say, they feel as if uh, some brightness is suddenly uh, there in the mind, or they feel as if uh, there is uh, some uh, bright light in front of uh, the head, or as if someone is suddenly uh, shining uh, a flashlight onto one's uh, face, and sometimes meditators you know, say it seems as if you know, they're seeing you know, some you know, fireworks or some um, you know, brilliant certain you know, lights you know, that don't you know, last too you know, long. Now, the experiences of Fatna illumination may differ from meditator to meditator depending on his or her strength of Fatna, well, especially mind, especially, well, concentration. And certainly, so for some, you know, the experience of illumination will be somewhat weak. For others, it may be stronger. Now, the Visuddhi Magga, in its 20th chapter, contains some nice you know, description and certain illustration for you know, this certain illustration. So allow me to you know, quote from Bhikkhu, Venerable Bhikkhu Jnana certain translation. So, in chapter 22, sect paragraph 107. Herein, illumination is uh, the illumination due to insight. And uh, what this means is due to insight, it's an illumination that uh, arises out of the Vipassana practice and uh, not necessarily um, because of other uh, uh, things. When it arises, the meditator thinks, such illumination never arose in me before. I have surely reached the path, and by path here is meant the noble path, the sup noble supramundane path, Ariya Magga. And so, I have reached fruition, thus he or she takes what is not the path to be the path and what is not fruition to be fruition. When the meditator takes what is not the path to be the path and what is not fruition to be fruition, the course of his or her insight is interrupted. So the development of one's practice is interrupted and the meditator drops his or her own basic meditation subjects and sits just enjoying the illumination. How wonderful this experience is and one just cannot get enough of it. And so, now, this next paragraph is certain about certain of the different the degrees in which meditators have experienced this illumination. But, 
and I'm quoting, this illumination arises in one bhikkhu, illuminating only as much as the seat he is sitting on. In another, the interior of his or her interior of his room. In another, the exterior of his room. In another, the whole monastery. A quarter league, a half league, a league, two leagues, three leagues. In another bhikkhu, it arises, making a single light from the earth's surface up to the Brahma world. So that is by far the strongest case of illumination. Or, or you know, for the ordinary bhikkhus. But in the Blessed One, it arose, illuminating the 10,000 fold world element. Now, even among the monastics, some form of competition was there. <laughs> And certain, uh, the next paragraph, namely 109, is certain, uh, uh, wonderful or testifies to this. This story illust- illustrates how it varies. Two elders, it seems, were sitting inside a room with a double wall at Chittala Pabata. So Pabata is your mountain and Chittala is the name of the mountain. And Satna, um, this Chittala Pabata is in Sri Lanka. Yes. Based on other passages from the Visuddhimagga. It was the Uposata of the dark of the moon that day. So there's two Uposatas. Uposata is your day. It's basically either your full moon or the dark moon. So two Uposatas in a month. And usually on the Uposata day, the monastics of a monastery get together and recite the monastic vows. Now, all directions were covered by a blanket of cloud. And at night, the four-factored gloom prevailed. And please do know, they did not have electricity back then. So, the external conditions were such that it was really dark. It couldn't have been any darker than this. Then one elder said, Venerable Sir, the flowers of the five colors on the lion table on the shrine terrace of in their monastery are visible to me. To this the other monk replied, What you say is nothing wonderful, friend. Actually, the fishes and turtles in the ocean a league away are visible to me right now. <laughs> And uh, so what we have here are these two monastics competing, unknowingly competing, in terms of their experiences of illumination. All of this just goes uh, to show that the intensity of illumination may change or may vary from person to person. Now, um, from a practical point of view, not each and every meditator who uh, undergoes intensive uh, Vipassana meditation will have certain experiences of illumination. 
and sometimes when there are group interviews this causes suffering unnecessarily because if in a group of meditators you have one who then report happily reports and enthusiastically reports to the teacher oh I'm having all these great illumination experiences and then some other meditator sits there oh and doesn't have a single illumination experience well then you can imagine that certain second meditator will feel someone certain down. Now, uh, in this context, a teacher's certain role is to well encourage that certain meditator who's not necessarily or who's not having illumination experiences. Now, um, those. Ten, or not all of the ten imperfections of insight have to arise. So for some meditators, all of them arise, and for some others, it may be just nine out of ten arise, or maybe just eight of ten, or it may be even less so than this. Now, Whatever it might be, if illumination phenomena come up in your meditation practice is good, and certainly then just be mindful of them and then proceed with your practice. If they don't come up, it's fine too, and you just observe whatever comes along. Now, when having these wonderful experiences of illumination, just as outlined in the Visuddhimagga earlier on, there, is, there are three dangers, potential dangers, that go along with these experiences. The first one being craving. So you've had one sitting uh, at night time, uh, and so let's say with a, uh, in Nepal, power failure, uh, there's no electricity, and uh, your experience of illumination is so strong uh, that the entire uh, room you're sitting in gets lit up. Now, you yourself might be quite impressed. And uh, the, sit the hour is over, you get up, you do your walking meditation, and suddenly then after an hour of walking meditation, you decide, well, you know, the previous sitting was so good, let me go for another sit. And uh, so you sit back down, you close your eyes, and then the mind goes, oh, it would be so nice if I could have those illumination experiences back. And so, so basically, the mind is hoping for, craving for uh, no, a replay of the earlier illumination experiences. This is a case, a clear-cut case of craving. One of the potential three dangers, potential imperfections or, or things that cause the mental states to become imperfections. Now, can you think of another potential danger that turns the experience of illumination into an imperfection of insight? Identifying with it? You, yes, you could say identifying with it and then further. No, 
becoming proud. Ah, there we go. That's the answer. So, pride and conceit then arises based on this. And so a meditator might then think the following words in his or her mind. Oh, I'm having these wonderful illumination experiences. And so the teacher did not even mention about this. It sure must be the case that the teacher never had experiences of illumination. And now, finally, my practice is better than the teacher's practice. And so, so one then, one's mind gets filled with pride and conceit. And this will actually not be helpful for one's further meditation practice. And so, in the presence of pride and conceit, no one's practice will stagnate. And so, and it's important to be very clear about this. Now, as given in you know, the case in the Visuddhimagga, right at the outset, you know, well, monastics at certain the time you know, mistook you know, these experiences of great certain illumination to be um, experiences of path and noble path and fruition knowledge. And so, uh, thinking that certain the path has been attained and uh, maybe enlightenment has to do with illumination and certain so then um, with this too um, with a wrong view nature deity in the Pali scriptural language then with this one's practice will stagnate so these are of the three, namely craving, tanha, and sapna, then mm, pride and conceit, mana, and as number three, wrong view, deity. These are your potential difficulties or potential dangers. Now, as an uninformed, an unskilled meditator, one is likely to you know, fall into the trap in one way or another. And so, so since certain illumination might be quite an outstanding experience, one then gets certainly carried away. And mm, Especially when one practices on one's own without a teacher. And in India this happens again and again. In Dubini we've had quite a number of meditators who practiced on their own in India and then not getting any further in their practice eventually they realize it's time to be under a teacher and suddenly then it becomes obvious that they got stuck in these imperfections of insight. So, a teacher's role in this connection is to inform the meditator about these three potential dangers and to point out these dangers and then with this the meditator is warned and then will be more careful. Now, the second among the um, ten imperfections is that of knowledge. 
jnana in the Pali scriptural language, and the Visuddhimagga defines Satya this as knowledge due to insight. So there's a clear connection here to the insight practice. And as a meditator keeps observing material and immaterial states, possibly knowledge arises and that knowledge then gets qualified as unerring, as keen, as incisive and very sharp, as sharpened well, keen as a lightning flash. And that does make quite a lot of sense in the general context of what is happening in one's practice. Earlier on, it certainly took a meditator quite some time to know the nature of an object, and an object would usually stick around for a longer period of time. Now, however, the mind works already much faster. And so when an object arises, it takes only very little time, maybe just a couple of moments, to know the nature of the object. Now, the three potential dangers that were explained in connection with illumination apply to all of the remaining um, uh, imperfections of insight. And so this, you know, that same set of three the potential dangers also applies to you know, this unerring, keen, incisive, and you know, very sharp knowledge. So based on uh, the experience of such uh, keen and unerring uh, knowledge, a meditator might develop a craving for it, might want to experience more of the same, and then might get uh, totally conceited and might also mistake the experience to be an experience of supramundane path and fruition knowledge, when in fact it is not the case as yet. Now, from a practical point of view, and observing meditators who've, many meditators who've come you know, to interviews and experience and related their you know, experiences concerning you know, these uh, the imperfections of insight, well, you know, this. You know, unerring, keen, incisive knowledge oftentimes does not really get mentioned by meditators. So that's that's an aspect that is somewhat um, not so highlighted. More Frequently, meditators might mention or speak about the third imperfection of insight, which is joy. And there's quite some, or quite a few things to say about this. This joy, too, is due to insight. And so, 
A meditator is likely to experience five kinds of Vajna joy. And those five kinds of joy are given in a particular order, namely from the weakest type of joy being mentioned first to the strongest being mentioned last. Those five kinds of joy are, as number one, minor joy and kudakatnya beat in the Pali scriptural language and then the next one is your momentary joy kanika piti the third one is your showering joy okantika piti piti means joy and then number four is your ubega piti uplifting joy and the last one is farana piti which means pervading joy now I'll explain each and every of those certain five. Minor piti covers experiences of chills and thrills in the body. And so some soothing experiences go through the body. Also in, into this category fall experiences such as having goosebumps, sometimes also referred to as goose flesh, and as certain uh, number four, uh, uh, the uh, body hairs standing on ends. So those certain uh, four uh, things. And uh, as mentioned, uh, these are uh, relatively uh, mild experiences. Now, next we have momentary joy, kanika piti, which should covers experiences of a sudden and uh, very short, um, let's say, electrical current running through uh, the body. And or as if lightning is something going through you know, the body. Now this is not necessarily for most most meditators, especially you know, from highly industrialized countries, you know, do you know, not you know, quite understand why you know, this experience comes under joy. It's not really you know, perceived as an experience of joy. Nonetheless, it you know, figures under you know, this you know, or, or you know, under the imperfections of insight, since it's actually happening. Now, then as number three, we have Okandika Bhiti, showering joy, which the Visuddhimagga explains and illustrates as if one were to sit on the beach right next to the shoreline and a big wave is coming in, but not a tsunami wave, and then <laughs> and breaking over the body. So the body then gets suddenly covered all over with the water. These first three types of joy, minor joy, momentary joy, and showering joy, are classified as dubula piti, namely weak or mild joy. 
the remaining two, namely the uplifting you know, joint, the pervading joint, are you know, referred to in the Pali scripture language as balawapiti, namely strong you know, joy or you know, rapture. Now, upigapiti, which is your uplifting you know, joy, should be taken literally. And it covers experiences of meditators quietly sitting on their meditation cushion, and all of a sudden, they, the body gets, uh, the body jumps up by uh, a foot or two. Sometimes, when the experience is quite pronounced, it may happen that a meditator. You know, even uh, all of a sudden you know, gets tossed off the cushion and finds himself or herself lying on the you know, you know, or landing on you know, the floor you know, to the meditators big surprise and uh, also you know, to the big astonishment of the fellow meditators and so, so they might be all of a sudden they hear this big bang and uh, you know, then you know, most people you know, they, you know, will no longer restrain their senses and will be tempted and will open their eyes and that will then check what is going on in the hall now, in Lumbini, and I've shared this certainly uh, before elsewhere, in Lumbini on one uh, day sometime, many, you know, a number of years back in the past, you know, we had a, a group of pretty good uh, meditators. And uh, you know, they were all sitting in the front row. And it so happened that uh, within one and the same sitting, one meditator was jumping up and down. <laughs> the next meditator was swaying violently back and forth, and the third one was literally getting tossed off his cushion. And so, so you can imagine, there was quite some laughter going on in the hall. And certainly they were all okay. <laughs> no serious damages occurred. So that's your uplifting joy. I remember, oh my goodness, time. So, well, you want to hear the story? <laughs> the story about the you know, Mahasi Meditation Center. This happened before my time. I just heard from you know, from others. So, at the Mahasi you know, Main Meditation Center, you know, there's a, you know, back then there was a, a hostel, an old hostel, for the male, foreign male meditators, and then another you know, hostel also for the foreign ladies. And so, and so it certainly uh, uh, it happened that I think it was a monastic a monk from Thailand who was uh, um, the, the male meditators all had certainly their own individual room and so there was a door to the room and then also you know, those sorry those mosquito screens instead of a window and a corridor going by you know, the windows and so from you know, the corridor one could certainly if one wanted to look into you know, the you know, room or into the rooms and so 
This Thai monk, it appears every day in the afternoon at a certain time, let's say four o'clock. His practice was at such a point that uh, he experienced this ubegapiti. He was sitting on his bed quietly, and all of a sudden he would get tossed off his bed and he would end up crashing onto the ground. Since it happened with such regularity, He said, this is really something, let others enjoy. And he then he invited the other foreign male meditators who were staying in that same building and said, please assemble around four o'clock in front of my window and you will be pleased to see something interesting. And so these fellow meditators were there and had gathered there at the mosquito screen. Sure enough, the Thai monk was sitting on the bed doing sincere and eager practice and all of a sudden this man gets thrown off his bed and he comes crashing or he lands crashing on the ground. And so in his case, too, also no serious damage done. So these certain things do happen in the meditation practice. And so before, when we're relatively new to meditation with Vipassana practice, we may think, oh, well, it seems like a pretty, you know, straightforward thing, a very serious practice, and so it's just sitting, walking, sitting, walking, some general activities, and that's it. But not so. So all sorts of unexpected experiences may come up. And the maxim for all of this remains to be what? Did you? What's that? Did you note it? Yes, did you note it? So, the maxim remains, just be mindful, label and observe and know whatever comes along. So if you get tossed off your cushion, be mindful if you can. (laughs) (laughs) And if the body is swaying wildly, then it's the same thing. All of these experiences eventually will subside. Now, maybe just from a practical point of view, from a meditator's point of view, the attitude matters. If you sit there and the body keeps jumping off the cushion again and again, and you then get totally worried about what is happening, and then your mind is going into the future, oh, if it's already this bad now, what is going to happen day after tomorrow, then obviously you will have a hard time. So you will make life difficult for yourself. But if you take it with this, you know, what's the word, with a sense of humor, then it's so much easier to handle all of these different experiences. Now, the last form of joy is Faranatnapiti, which then gets described in the Visuddhi Magga as some pervading or rapturous sensations that pervade the entire body and very pleasant sensations.
Now, in the context of Fatna, these Fatna five kinds of joy, once again we have the same set of Fatna three potential dangers, namely of craving, of pride and conceit, and also of Fatna wrong view. Now, how do we experience joy? Just for general knowledge, modern synonyms for it would be rapture, would be zest or a keen enjoyment, would be enthusiasm, excitement, elation, interest, euphoria, joyful interest, and then exuberance. Now, the Visudhimaka defines this Satna joy in the classical fourfold manner by saying that it has the characteristic of endearing and its function is to refresh the mind and the body and its second function is Satna to pervade the body and mind to thrill with Satna rapture. And it is manifested as elation, and the mind and body are said to be its proximate sudden cause. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita uh, likes to mm, describe you know, the manifestation of Fatna joy you know, by you know, saying, or by, you know, yeah, by giving it as a bubbly form of Fatna energy. Now, later on, we shall compare this joy you know, to the mental factor of Fatna Sukha, and you know, in order to gain you know, some better you know, understanding there about you know, the differences among or between the two. Now, the Visuddhimaka says as that the proximate cause for the arising of joy is the mind and certain body. One could give other reasons. Joy may arise because of the absence of the hindrances as well as the absence of physical pains. The Venerable Sadhu Pandita explains it more or less along the same line, and he says, in the presence of mindfulness, the hindrances will gradually have to subside. With this, Chitta Viveka is there, namely seclusion of the mind. So the mind is secluded from the hindrances, and with this, then joy can arise. Now, the next uh, you know, imperfection of insight is tranquility, basadi in the Pali scriptural language. Meditators have footnote described certainly this as follows you know, by saying, My whole body felt you know, very peaceful and tranquil, and you know, sometimes you know, saying you know, that the mind was so peaceful and tranquil that certainly one. 
state without noting, without being really mindful for an hour or two. And certainly some meditators, when this certain tranquility is present in the walking meditation, stop walking and just gaze for an extended period of time. Now, also from a practical point of view, this tranquility may be experienced as stillness of the mind. So in other words, absence of movement in the mind. Under normal circumstances, the mind is dashing this way, that way, to this sense store, that sense store, and yet another sense store into the future, into the past, etc. So usually there's a lot of movement going on in in the mind. In the presence of pasadi, of tranquility, this uh, uh, changes and certainly the mind certainly then becomes still. Now, modern synonyms for tranquility would be peacefulness, non-agitation, stillness, serenity, quietness, and certain repose. Calmness, coolness of uh, mind. Now, the classical you know, definition for tranquility is you know, that it has the characteristic of quieting down you know, disturbances in the mental body and certain consciousness, respectively. And its function is to crush certain such disturbances, and it is manifested as peacefulness and certain coolness. And the approximate cause is the mental body and certain consciousness. And this tranquility as a mental factor is should be regarded as opposed to such defilements as restlessness and worry, Uddhacca and Kukucca in the Pali scripture language, which creates distress and agitation in the stream of consciousness. Now, When early on in one's Satna practice, well, much different hindrances occurred, and with this, then also much agitation is present in the stream of consciousness, then naturally, when finally things of the mind comes down and tranquility sets in, then this is a wonderful experience. And meditators usually like it a lot. And among the um, imperfections of insight that meditators for the most part mention first it is calmness or, or it is uh, it is certain calmness that gets mentioned uh, first now this does not necessarily mean that the other um, the earlier uh, imperfections don't occur sometimes meditators miss you know, those or you know, simply don't think uh, necessary you know, to report uh, them now from a practical point of view, when 
tranquility arises in one's stream of consciousness and is quite predominant, then there is a fair likelihood that a number of related mental factors will also be present. And does any one of you know what those related mental factors could be? Wholesome mental factors. Mental factors that don't get mentioned that much. Not yet, that comes later. Underlying, yes, but it's not prominent yet. Concentration will also be there. Um, it's, uh, concentration is not per se a wholesome mental state. It's an ethically variable state. Or it's one of the universal sorry. Pardon me? These things like malleability. There you go. That is correct. So there is a group of wholesome mental factors that in the Abhidhamma list, or the list from the Abhidhamma Sangha, follows tranquility. And those mental factors are lahuta, lightness, of consciousness and the mental body. And then, as Chris has pointed out, malleability, muduta, in the Pali scriptural language, and then there are others, namely Kamyanatta, and then also which is wieldiness, and then we have furthermore proficiency, Bagunyata, and then the last one is Ujukata, namely rectitude. And so, you know, we won't have the time to go into each and every one of them, but maybe you know, just to mention you know, the characteristics well characteristic and manifestation of them. Uh, so in the case of lightness, lightness has the characteristic of you know, the subsiding of heaviness and its function is to you know, crush such heaviness and it's manifested as non-sluggishness. And it is opposed to mental defilements such as sloth and torpor, which are said to create heaviness. In the case of muduta malleability, its characteristic is that of the subsiding of rigidity. And rigidity is caused by unwholesome mental factors such as pride and conceit and a wrong view. And certainly, so the function is to crush such rigidity, and it is manifested as certain non-resistance. In the case of wieldiness, kamanyata, its characteristic is the subsiding of unwieldiness, and then its function is to crush such unwieldiness, and it is manifested as the um, as success of the mental body and certain consciousness in making something an object. And then in the case of uh, proficiency, 
its characteristic is that of healthiness and its function is to crush unhealthiness and so it is manifested as absence of disability and and unhealthiness is, according to the Abhidhamma, no, 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 created or caused by uh, unwholesome mental states such as lack of faith, so skeptical no, doubt and uh, no, others. And then the last one is rectitude, ujukata, and its characteristic is that of uh, uprightness or straightforwardness, and its function is no, to crush trickiness of the mind or crookedness of the mind and it is uh, um, opposed to hypocrisy and fraudulence. So now, sometimes it's, it can be quite interesting if one has some understanding of the Abhidhamma and so if one knows, okay, you know, if one knows from one's meditation practice, well, calmness is there, then coming from the Abhidhamma, no one could check, are some of those other wholesome mental states, as mentioned, are they present in the mind or not? And one might actually find you know, at least some of them you know, to be be uh, present. There, you know, the, the ones mentioned uh, just now, they're uh, not that easy uh, to, uh, dis to uh, discern. However, Lahuta, for instance, is obvious, and then uh, Ujukata, uh, rectitude, is also uh, obvious. And the wieldiness, come, let me see. The wieldiness also can be uh, can be uh, uh, discerned. Anyways, as usual, based on an experience of uh, tranquility, of lightness, and then malleability, etc., one should not fall prey to the potential danger of craving, of pride and conceit, and wrong view. Now, if one manages you know, to, if one is well aware of these uh, three potential uh, dangers, then you know, whenever calmness arises, you know, one will you know, recognize it quickly and uh, then simply just label it, observe it, and observe it in a non-attached manner, treat it as just another object, nothing special, you know, no need to you know, get certain caught uh, here, and certain uh, then um, you know, the practice will uh, move ahead. Now, the next uh, imperfection of insight is uh, that of sukha, namely happiness, and so mm, yeah, this certain uh, may be uh, actually quite a major um, or quite a major experience. Now. This happiness we experience in many different ways. Could you mention some aspects that you have noticed in your own meditation practice? 
aspects of happiness. Hmm? No happiness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I would say, like, feeling connected to everything. Happy and connected. Just, like, not separate from anything. Not separate from the outside world. Oh, is it? Oh, softening of the boundaries. Yes, and so it's interesting what you're saying. Yes, you have something? Less unwholesome thoughts? I don't know. Unwholesome thoughts? Unwholesome. Oh, or less unwholesome thoughts. Most likely, yes. Apart from this. There you go, it's correct. Uh, ease of body and mind. And uh, instead of ease, we can also say comfort. Anything else? Walking, sense of tranquility and joy. Not really. Well. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And a number of you have experienced this uh, in uh, your meditation uh, practice and have even reported it. So, there uh, may be a general sense of uh, well-being, physically as well as mental, and uh, mm, you know, the well-being, you know, so you just, uh, you know, there, you know, another way of expressing it you know, would be to say there's a sense of contented. You're contented with what is going on in your practice. You're contented with what you're experiencing within. You don't need anything in addition to this. And so, mm, an ice cream is not necessary to make your day. Hannah. Okay. Sometimes people describe the feeling of sweetness. Yes, certainly one could. Mm-hmm. One could. Yes. So, as sweetness and another common experience. Do you have something? No? Uh, pardon me? I'm just biting my nails. Oh, you're biting your nails? <laughs> Well, um, another very common or very obvious aspect is that when there is happiness in the mind or contentment, then the body tends to be pretty relaxed. There is no muscular or or no excessive um, being tensed up, all tensed up. And so, so there's a tremendous sense of you know, relaxation, and certainly sometimes meditators have described this. People have said they feel like having received a full body massage. And so the body is, there's no tension left in the body whatsoever, or the body feels rubber like. And when 
know, this happiness, sukha is predominant, usually it goes along with an absence of bodily pains and aches. And if pains and aches are present, they are going to be rather mild. So just some minor you know, pains here and there, but nothing major. Now, the venerable Sadhu Pandita, during talks that he has given in you know, Lumbini in 1999, has stated that when Sukha is present, the, or, or the, the presence of Sukha may um, help or contribute to cure the certain chronic diseases. So it may contribute to um, overcoming some illness. And Satna, this then in connection also maybe with the enlightenment factors. The enlightenment factors are being attributed a curative quality. The Visuddhimagga defines Sukha as an exceedingly refined happiness, or it refers to it as bliss or pleasure flooding one's entire body. Now, when we compare this uh, happiness, sukha, with satna joy and satna rapture, what do you think? Which one is coarser? The, you know, the you know, sukha is coarser or you know, the joy is coarser? Hmm? Joy. The joy is coarser. Yes, is correct. And so, when one first experiences joy, one might certainly think this is the greatest experience. However, you know, a few days down you know, the road, you know, one realizes there are more refined things around. Now, based on an experience of joy, tranquility, and certain happiness, sukha, nasapiti, pasadi, and certain sukha, one might experience what is known as Dhamma delight. And in this regard, the Dhamma, or the Buddha has spoken a verse, which is recorded as Dhammapada verse 373, and it goes as follows. Sunyagaram pavitasa santa cittasa bhikkhuno ammanusi rati hot the English rendering of this is as follows. The bhikkhu, who, bhikkhu, bhikkhu, and lay meditator who goes into seclusion to meditate, whose mind is tranquil, who clearly perceives the Dhamma, experiences a delight which transcends that of ordinary men and women. And this Dhamma delight is not based on uh, going to the movies and then gaining some pleasure from this, or going to a restaurant and eating some expensive and tasty food. And it's also not dependent on drinking wine or whatever else one might be interested in. So, 
um, there is a big difference between the happiness, the Dhamma happiness or Dhamma delight that arises out of the meditation practice which is more or less free from uh, dangers and certainly the ordinary pleasures that we derive from indulging in or or the happiness that we gain when indulging in sense pleasures. Now, once again, when this happiness contentment arises, there is a good chance that one might crave for it, that one might get conceited about or with it and suddenly mistake it for um, an experience of uh, um, noble path knowledge and certain fruition knowledge which of course is not certainly the case. Now the remaining imperfections are those of determined faith which Basically, that means that um, one, based on illumination, based on keen knowledge, on joy, on tranquility, and certain happiness, based on all these wonderful experiences, well, naturally, one's um, faith in the practice will go up. All these wonderful things happening, and certainly then all the suffering from earlier on is forgotten. And certainly with this, then one's faith is not just an ordinary faith anymore, but rather it becomes a determined faith, or it turns, or one might call it a conviction. One is convinced that this is the proper practice, this is the proper path to take. And out of an experience of strong um, or determined faith, Adimokha, a meditator may uh, then experience various certain things like frequent uh, thoughts about uh, how wonderful the practice is, thoughts of gratitude uh, towards the Buddha and uh, towards uh, the Sangha, the teachers, and uh, then also there may be thoughts around one might be planning already one's next retreat and one some meditators might even be plotting out their Dhamma their career as a Dhamma teacher and I've heard not too many or not sorry not too few not a few meditators confessing that they were in the mind sitting in meditation already putting together their first Dhamma talk that they were going to give at home uh, to their family. So this is not so uncommon. And then 
with this faith or new conviction, one has to be careful that it does not go overboard. And so, mm, what does this mean, faith going overboard? So one has all these wonderful experiences and then feels strongly impelled to bow down to you know, the Buddha's statue once and twice and three times, which is okay uh, up to this point. But then, if it's uh, the bowing doesn't end and goes on for 10, 20 minutes, then this might be a little bit too much. And now, based on uh, a strong uh, faith or a determined certain faith, naturally uh, one uh, will uh, be inclined to uh, make more uh, 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 or, or you know, be inclined to ensure that one's mindfulness is more you know, continuous. And so, you know, so you know, with this then, one's mindfulness you know, tends to become, or, or one's mindfulness you know, tends to mm, gain new qualities. And if earlier on one's mindfulness was somewhat sluggish, slow, then it, it becomes dynamic. If earlier on one had to make much effort to be mindful in a really continuous manner, now this is happening easily. And if previously one was missing predominant objects over and over again, now even without pro proper aiming at an object, the mind will automatic or the attention will automatically go to the center of the object. And without any delay will the observing mind be with the object. So mindfulness tends to be dynamic, easy, continuous, without missing an object, without delay, swift, sharp, and certain light. Now, since this is quite outstanding, again, one might get caught up in this fabulous mindfulness and suddenly then start craving for more of the same or get conceited or take this to be a sign for having attained the supramundane path and fruition knowledge. And as a well-informed meditator, we don't go for this, and we simply are aware of the qualities, these new qualities of mindfulness, and we just keep on observing whatever comes along. Now, the second last imperfection is that of awajana upekha, namely equanimity in adverting. And this satna then is of two kinds, namely equanimity in insight, and the second one is equanimity in adverting. The Visuddhimagga explains the two as satna follows. The first one, equanimity in insight, is basically neutrality in the investigation of formations. In Pali it's known as simply tatra majatata. And the reason for this neutrality in the investigation of formations is because one has observed this whole range of formations already so many times that one is well familiar with this and thus the mind is no longer excited about various intriguing objects. 
Now, the second aspect, the second uh, aspect of upeka is awajana upeka, which means equanimity in adverting in the mind uh, door. And um, the mind, ha- when, uh, when an object arises in the mind door, uh, like a thought or a mental state or whatnot, a memory, then the mind has to turn towards it, advert towards it. And that adverting then works incisively and sharply as a lightning flash. Now, once again, one could certainly crave for, for, for more the same, of the same, and certainly also get conceit because of this, and certainly mistake it to be an, a super mundane experience. Now, in the case of Nikanti attachment, this is an imperfection that underlies all of the other uh, earlier nine imperfections and certainly so one uh, then gets attached to experiences of illumination of knowledge and uh, joy and so on and so forth. Now, just maybe one final point, this these imperfections of insight mark a very important point on one's path towards liberation. And so it's kind of like as if kind of like coming to a crossroads and suddenly the road one road going in one direction and another road going in a different direction. And not informed meditator will take the wrong path and get attached to all of these imperfections, will develop a craving for them, etc., etc. And as a result of this, then gets stuck in uh, his or her practice. So in other words, that path is kind of like a dead end. And at first one doesn't see it, but if one uh, experiences calmness for 10 days in a row, what do you think? Would it still be fascinating? Not anymore. And then eventually one will get the message that even this wonderful calmness needs to be labeled, one needs to be mindful of it, and one needs to know its nature and eventually go of it. Now, the other path is you know, the correct path, and that other path is the path of you know, just being mindful or applying mindfulness to each and every of those sudden imperfections and treating them as any ordinary, as one would treat any ordinary object. So, just labeling, observing, and knowing each and every of those sudden imperfections.
transactions. Um, so gradually one will you know, then let go of the non-path, the wrong path, and Satna then will remember to be mindful again in a continuous manner, and with this one will be traveling the correct Satna path, and a path that eventually will lead to the realization of noble um, path and fruition knowledge. Now, the ten imperfections of insight are important to experience during a retreat because it's overall a very well rewarding experience and meditators then will feel inspired to continue with their meditation practice and will want to gain the goal even though they are not aware of the difficulties coming up in the future. However, it gives them the impetus to move ahead. And so at this, the imperfections of insight also show a meditator the potential of the mind. What is certainly possible? And these, the imperfections may be helpful for our daily life, in particular equanimity, because it arises at this point for the first time in a clear-cut manner. One starts to get a taste for it, a feel for it and suddenly then after the retreat one can take uh, you know, this experience into one's daily life and uh, in challenging uh, situations apply equanimity as best as possible. So this Satna then brings us to the end of our talk. Let me conclude by wishing. May you experience that purification, which is known as purification of what is the path and, the, and what is not the path. Magamaganyana Dasna Visuddhi in the Pali scriptural language. May you not get fooled to take the wrong path, but rather recognize what the correct path is. May you walk happily and certainly with uh, good effort and joy uh, along the correct path. Observe whatever predominant object comes along, whether it's desirable or undesirable, it doesn't matter. And uh, eventually may you experience the peace of Nibbana uh, during this very retreat here in Taos, New Mexico. And this is it for now. And I apologize for taking so long. <laughs> okay, no more questions today. I'll just find that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Should I leave it? Uh, <laughs> no, let's go briefly here. If you uh, notice that, uh, say, first thing when, every morning when you begin your practice, uh, calmness arises repeatedly mm -hmm. over, over many days. Yes. Is that not patient? That there's a there's a there's a, a desire in the mind to move in that direction? that precedes the experience of calmness. 
And shouldn't that be noticed first and labeled? I mean, there's this, you know, you're making this distinction between what is and what is not the path. But preceding these re repeated experiences is this tendency of the mind to crave the experience. And can that not be noticed in order to avoid this dilemma? Oh, the, the situation that you're describing should be seen as follows. If calmness is present right away at the beginning of a sitting, then this gives you a kind of where the baseline is of your practice. So your practice is up to a point where calmness is most predominant. And so then, that being so, you then simply just apply mindfulness to, you know, to the calmness and you make sure you don't get carried away by it. I know, it's simple as that. And if uh, if earlier on you, you would get totally you know excited about this or, 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 or carried away by the calmness, and then after a couple of days of experiencing calmness at the beginning of a sitting of the first certain sitting in the day, then gradually you get to the point. Oh well, it's just another experience, and then right away you start being mindful of it. And then sooner or later it will pass, and some. Other experience will become more predominant, or other mental state. Uh, no. Yes. Okay. That's it. No more. <laughs> Next time I talk will be tomorrow.